Now, sometimes when I was a kid, perhaps just after my older brother Fergal had given me a dead leg, or maybe my younger sister Claire had reached over and taken the last meringue with her big innocent eyes, <laughs> I would look sort of wistfully at the one kid in class who was an only child, and I would think he was so lucky. You know, even if at the time people always would drop their voices when they would say "only child," you know, in the same way that my grandmother would say someone was German, you know, <laughs> implying that they didn't want to embarrass them by saying it out loud because it wasn't really their fault, but it was still something that we didn't approve of. But I didn't envy the only child for very long because even then I knew that my siblings, you know, as annoying as they could be at times, were on balance a good thing, and that was for reasons big and small. Now the bigger ones. Um, I become more aware of as I grow older. You know, like a spouse, your siblings are there in sickness and in health. Your resources are pooled, uh, responsibilities shared, and they understand where you come from. There's nothing to hide or to explain. They've seen you naked in the bath because they were naked in the bath with you. <laughs> But there's smaller stuff too that I appreciate. For example, they give me glimpses into other worlds. You know, my siblings all do really very different things, and they live in very different worlds to mine. It's unlikely we'd ever meet, and if we did, it would be once in passing, and not the kind of regular meetings upon which friendships are built. You know, my siblings aren't like my friends, and that's a good thing. You know, my sister Idel, for example, she's a carer. She's spent her whole life looking after other people, and sometimes people who need the kind of care that seems to me overwhelming. But Idel is never overwhelmed. She'll shrug and laugh and roll up her sleeves. And clean up old Tommy where he needs to be cleaned up, or gently and patiently explain again to Tommy why he can't really do that in front of other people in the living room during X Factor, and if he really needs to do that, his own room is the place for that. <laughs> I shamefully think I couldn't do it, and yet someone has to do it—someone like my amazing sister—and it's only because she's my sister that I appreciate that there are amazing people out there in the world. Who look after people who need looking after in ways that I would be overwhelmed by, and my siblings have also passed things on to me, and I don't just mean the hand-me-down coats and tennis rackets and school books and chickenpox <laughs> that I would take with an ungrateful, put-upon look before huffing off to school, convinced I would have been better off in the orphanage with Oliver Twist, because at least his gruel was his own and not a hand-me-down gruel that <laughs> his sister had already written in all the answers in Blue Biro. <laughs> my sister Alvin, she gave me Paul Simon. And Fleetwood Mac, and Olivia Newton-John, and Saturday Night Fever, and Mary Coughlin, and well, David Cassidy. But we don't need to dwell on David Cassidy. <laughs> My brother Fergal, he gave me Queen, and U2. He took me to my very first concert, U2 in Crow Park, 1985. Idel gave me Gilbert and Sullivan, and South Pacific, and my grandma told your grandma. Sitting by the fire, my grandma told your grandma, "I'm going to set this world on fire." Talk about <laughs> my sister Claire. Well, I gave her Michael Jackson, for which I'm sure she's very grateful. She ought to be. Shut up. <laughs> my siblings gave me the soundtrack to my life, which might seem like a small thing, but it's not. You know, every life needs a soundtrack, a score to accompany it with. You know, without the Bee Gees, John Travolta strutting down a Brooklyn street in his Cuban heels and checking his hair out in a shop window would, frankly. I've been a big idiot, <laughs> but with them, he was a star. You'll notice I didn't mention my oldest brother Lorcan, and much later he gave me a great piece of musical advice, which I'm now going to impart to you. Irish people, we all know Patricia the Stripper. <laughs> It's part of our modern Irish DNA, and regardless how you feel about 
the rest of Christopher's oeuvre, you cannot tell me that Patricia the Stripper isn't one of the most fun story songs ever written. And it's important that it's a story song because with a story song, you don't need to be a great singer. So here is the great thing I'm telling you. Let's assume that unlike most of my guests today, you're not actually a good singer. And you can never remember poems and you've got two left feet. And one day you find yourself at a party abroad. Drinks have been taken and songs are being sung and the next thing, to your horror, they're all looking at you. And worse, they're all looking at you expectantly because, well, you're Irish, aren't you? And everyone knows that every Irish person is great for the house singing and partying. <laughs> and they know that because, well, that's what we've been telling them for years and they bought it. <laughs> and now they're all looking at you and you are thinking, oh, shite. <laughs> well, you don't have to because you got this. Stand up. Tell them that Dennis was a menace with his anyone for tennis and beseeching them to come and keep the score. And these people have never heard that. They don't know about Dennis or Maud being so bored or that you're going out to dinner with a gorgeous singer and they certainly do not know what else Patricia does for a living or that she's going to soon end up in court and have a very lucky escape because she was in her working clothes. <laughs> it's all new to them. And by the time they find out about Patricia's sexy part-time job and are relieved to hear the judge bang on the table and declare, case dismissed, <laughs> you are going to be hailed as an all conquering party piece hero. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs>